This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 316, Playing Against the Emirates of Hakan. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I'm really holding back the temptation to say for Hakan so loved the world that they gave their only begotten kitty. Like, how much should I repress that desire today? Like, what, what, what's the vibe? Um, oh, you're, it's a Bible joke. It's a Bible joke, and I just don't know but, where we stand. And it's also a joke having to do with the number of the episode mm-hmm. that maybe no one paid attention to. That's right. But perhaps even, and you've already chosen to open with it. <laughs> Even though you're framing it like, I don't know if I should open with this I'm or not. I'm opening with the option, you know? I'm just trying to option. I'm, I'm, I'm making a pitch here. I think you've already done it, and I <laughs> oh, think okay, that it, I, I think it, I didn't like it, um, <laughs> but I think that you did do it. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's, it's easier to ask for forgiveness mm-hmm. than permission, um, and, you know, that's, that's a thing yeah. in the Bible, too. <laughs> <laughs> also a thing so I, yeah i think specifically the bible takes the other side of it right the forgiveness instead of the permission yeah let's maybe not get into the maybe bible, not get into actually that. yeah you know let's maybe, maybe we let's should get into let's get into twilight imperium instead i think yeah right. yeah get back in your lane Matt. <laughs> how about you talk about stuff you supposedly know about okay <laughs> Instead of stuff you absolutely do not know about. <laughs> so how about that? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's fair. Uh, hey, guess what? This weekend we are continuing our series of Weird Bear exhibition matches. I've continued to say on stream, uh, and, and, and I'm continuing here to say, I feel really uncomfortable saying that. Weird Bear exhibition? The Weird Bear exhibition. Why? I don't know. There's just something off about it to me. It's just got uh, a... Ton- what's off about it? It's got it? a weird phrasing to it. I don't know. I, it's something hard to express. But... I mean, I think it sounds like a fun time. <laughs> this weekend, uh, Friday at 1500 UTC, EJ will be presenting you all with a game of Nuzlocke. I believe EJ's working on a few updates to the rules of Nuzlocke. Uh, if you don't remember, mm. Nuzlocke is essentially when your plastic dies. It dies in real life. It dies for good. And yeah. at the end of the game, uh, we have a battle royale around anybody who can reach Mechatol. And that's the actual way you win the game is by killing everybody else and being the last person surviving on Mechatol. That's the gist of Nuzlocke. Although I'm sure EJ will just come up with a bunch of other new different rules to keep things spicy uh, on Friday. Yeah. On Saturday... Uh, actually, will you, do you, have you talked to Wecker about what he's doing on Saturday? Yeah, he sent me this nebulous thing, okay. uh, that's, that was called, like, the Weird Bear Hunt. Will you, will you just introduce it? Like, well, I mean, it can no. even be, okay, as vague as that. I, no. I won't introduce it. What I will say is that Wecker <laughs> sent me a weird document, and it w- said, 
weird bear hunt and then i started reading it and it was insane so okay so i guess all of that in- is in so this is where it, so saturday is that at 1500 is whatever we just described yeah. to you right yeah that's is that was that not good no, enough that's great I, did that's, you not understand that's it exactly I, yeah i think i gave you everything yeah. you needed to know actually and then Sunday is Brassbird's Checks and Balances game at 1700 UTC. That is a multi draft where you don't draft for yourself, you pick for everybody else. And the agenda checks and balances and play the entire game, which means every strategy phase, you pick strategy cards for everybody else. So basically, yeah. you make very few decisions for you, and the game will last 400 years unless uh, they can just find a way to get out of it. It'll be a win slay fest. I mean, uh, not even that. It'll be a it'll be a win making fest at the end because they'll just need to find a way out. <laughs> yeah, I'm hosting that one, and let me tell you, I despise checks and balances, but I love brass birds. So <laughs> come see like how that plays out because it will be interesting to watch the back and forth there. Yeah, who is yeah. more powerful, <laughs> checks and balances or brass bird? Can love beat hate truly, yeah. <laughs> or is hate strong? Uh-huh. How 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 strong is hate? Uh, Mm -hmm. speaking of hate today's episode (laughs) is a weird one uh this is my pitch this was the uh, this is the thing i've been wanting to do for a while and 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 today is me (laughs) putting my money where my mouth is on whether or not this concept makes any sense in the context of twilight imperium we've talked about like episodes about factions where it's like how do you play against that faction right what do you do uh when you're playing against so and so and the the tricky space with that question is, well, in Twilight Imperium, if you want to stop someone from winning the game, you can just do that. And it does not matter their faction or kind of anything. Like, if sure. you just want that to be your singular focus, you can put a, a, a knife in anybody's back and, and really uh, cause chaos. But the point is more in an entangled perspective in a way of like how do i increase my own chances while recognizing how x faction has shifted the game and the best one to start with seemed like hakan because hakan probably more than any other faction in the game shifts the meta and shifts the conversations you have to have in a game uh you know at least more than everybody uh, everybody else might uh and and we'll today basically we're going to go over like what is it that hakan does to twilight imperium and how do you navigate that new space how do you improve your chances to win off the back of hakan while also preventing hakan from running away with it or or whatever does that make sense yeah. as a pitch <laughs> sort of it's this, a little wordy this, uh- episode is that gif of like the woman look at her eyes darting around and there's like formulas everywhere so matt has written an episode from the perspective of five players seated at a table and none of them are playing a sakon mm-hmm, mm-hmm. essentially um because matt can see the matrix and can understand i mean levels of magnitude and and exponential uh you know an understanding that is so mathematical that it drives so deep at the heart of reality that you would if you looked upon it you would run away in fear Uh or is matt so paranoid of all other players at all times that he feels there must be a way to make all considerations for all of the things anybody can do to me at any given time in a game of ti meanwhile it's his turn and he (laughs) hasn't thought about what he's supposed to do exactly precisely uh Mm -hmm. so that's that's the space we're in today so 
Uh, I wanted to treat this uh, as some semblance of uh, the way we think about strategy guides episode where we will be like spelling out some of these abilities to you and kind of uh, digging into them. I, I hope this serves as a guide to newer players who might even just be like entering one of their first games as Hakan or like their second game as Hakan, right? And in their first game of Hakan, they weren't prepared for the mess that Hakan was going to make. And they're just like, what? Like, what's actually a good way to 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 enter this field of play, uh, wh where I can get rid of uh, having to learn? Like, what are some assumptions I can make, basically, about Hakan being at this table or whatever? So, uh, to talk about some of the abilities that uh, uh, relate to the game, I, we're going to start the conversation with regards to like just trade meta, and trade is, of course. A conversation where we could just spend a, a million years talking about all the nuances of ev the way any given person wants to go about doing deals. But I think we are coming at this from the main standpoint of a uh, sort of traditional X minus one uh, meta of trading. And the all of that is to say most of the time X minus one is a shorthand to get uh, out of the way steps that uh, we have found over time just happen anyways, which is like a lot of people end up getting refreshed. The money finds its way around the table over the course of a round or whatever. And you're better off just sort of at the front end of it being like, listen, it is a dollar to get refreshed uh, for free as opposed to spending the three influence worth of a command counter. And what you do with those commodities from there is probably just up to you, right? Is that uh, is that right. a good summary of X minus one? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's whatever X is your commodity value, minus one, that one is what you're paying right. to the trade person who is refreshing you uh, for free, because otherwise it would cost you a command counter. Yeah. Uh, and so it doesn't really make much sense to spend a command counter to save yourself a dollar. Right. So you may as well, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of the way the community has worked out the best deal. Um, the trade person, the person with trade makes a lot of money. Yep. Everybody else makes a little bit of money. Right. Um, and for some reason, that makes sense to people, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, and nobody wants to budget a command counter for it right. is the, really the problem. Yeah. Almost nobody spends a command counter in trade at this point. Uh, the, 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 the only other thing you'll occasionally see is like an X minus two, especially against basically I would say Jolnar because Jolnar has like all these other tradables as well, where Jolnar is just mm -hmm. able to make money hand over fist. So plenty often if they have the right leverage you'll see the person with trade say it's two bucks for jolnar to get replenished and jolnar i would say decently often is like yeah okay fine <laughs> whatever <laughs> that that is also a fair price basically to uh start moving my money around or whatever um but hakan can kind of get in the way uh but also hakan enables a lot of things because the other difficulty especially in a round one scenario is you do all this trade stuff, but then people got to like end up next to each other and make the washes happen, right? Which is generally possible. You know, you 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 expand to your right, your neighbor expands to the left. You're going to be able to trade with them and all of that. Uh, but then you run into so many issues of like timing windows, right? Are we going to be able to swap these commodities before uh, tech pops or before warfare pops or whatever? Like, is the money going to end up where it needs to end up in time? And one of the most important abilities Hakan has access to is guild ships you can negotiate transactions with players who are not your neighbors right. and what this suddenly allows is depending on like the vibe of the hakan player if everybody just gets replenished hakan can just move everybody's money around between each other and can just sort of like fulfill 
everyone's X minus ones more or less immediately, right? And then there's no mm -hmm. waiting for any money for any of these timing windows in round one. Uh, now, Hakan could, I guess, play meaner than that, or they can, like, ask for premiums. But I would say that's even hard to do because it's like, hey, I already spent a dollar. Let's say I'm a three-commodity faction. I already spent a dollar to get these commodities. And you're asking me to spend another dollar to, to move it around. That's probably not going to happen. So I feel like the most common thing you see is around one Hakan is just sort of like, I will help facilitate everyone's deals and move the money around. Do, do you think that that's consistent? Oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. I think like, yeah, sometimes Hakan will... I, what you're describing... Okay, so just to make sure mm -hmm. that this makes sense to people, yeah. what we're describing. Right. Um, so the trade, the person with trade is not Hakan. Right. And they have uh, initiated this X minus one. A lot of times on round one, not everyone can trade because they're not all neighbors, right? Yeah, right. Hakan can do that. So you're describing a situation where Hakan has agreed to get the trade person all of their money. I personally think that that's just kind of like a gesture of niceness from Hakan. Yeah. And it's absolutely not necessary. Sure. I'm happy to, if I'm the trade player and Hakan doesn't want to do this, I do, really don't care one way or the yeah. other. I'm getting my money whenever I'm getting it. Uh, and I I would not assume that Hakan has to do this, right. basically. Yeah. A lot of people do because it's just easier that way. Um, and I think generally the way that the way that things have worked out is instead of being very crab bucket-esque with mm -hmm. commodities, people are more like, well, if I wash you and then you then I happen to find commodities, you wash me. So yeah. there's like more of a friendlier meta when it comes to like washing uh, each other's commodity. Yeah. I would say especially in round one, right? Because there's a lot of people just trying to meet specific needs round one. And so I feel like that atmosphere of just like scratching each other's backs is even more prevalent than even in later rounds. In later rounds, you might start to see people get a little bit weirder, especially as the map fills out. We're all adjacent to each other anyways. There's like less considerations across the board. But round one, I, I feel like there's just this air of like, let's all do nice things because the last thing I want is to do something mean to you, and then you decide it's worth it to then also do something mean to me, and that tanks my whole round one or whatever. Also, round one is not tied enough, I think, yeah. anymore for this to, like, I. it's not, it's really, it's niceness that has very little bearing yeah. on, I think, the outcome of round one for most factions. Right. There's some factions, like, I think, I think uh, Arborek would be one, I think, Really, anybody that doesn't start with two C4I and like four resources at home mm -hmm. would satisfy this requirement for me, um, which is really not a lot of people now that POK has like changed. Like really now that's kind of the baseline for yeah. most everybody, even if it's not on the table, it like kind of functionally right. is. Right. Um, but beyond those factions, I really find it like matters very little yeah. uh, in in. A majority of the time now there might be a, an objective a public objective that comes out where suddenly it matters right yeah but the problem with that is that it then is going to matter for everybody right um so if let's say let's say it's i don't know let's say it's five trade goods or well what's a better example let's just do resources yeah if we're all mean to each other what it might mean is that only one person scores that yeah which is not actually a great outcome for the table i if i'm at if i'm at a table and a end objective comes out in the first flop yeah if one person is scoring it well then i think we should all yeah, score it right that's how i feel let's all stay so, on tempo let's all be yes. evenly matched and then yeah. we can just 
continue to all lurk in the gray area that is all of us sharing tempo. Yeah, because even though I had to help a bunch of other people get there, if I was going to not score without the help of others, uh, then it is better for me because we're neutralizing that point that that one player received, right? right? So exactly. yeah. it, this is why boat floating keeps coming back around is because the game doesn't have, there's no levers in the game to say boat floating is bad yeah. um, because anytime, this is true almost anytime when you have one player that can satisfy a public objective and the others can't, is that those five players should probably just help each other do it. Right. Right. And instead of just watch this one player score an objective, they can't. Exactly. Because for you to stop them, which would be the alternative, right? Oh, we can either all boost each other up or we can drag them down. But one person is going to be the person who is tasked with dragging down and they will drag themselves down even further. And then you're just left with four people that are actually feeling great and two players that are just like in in the trash can, basically. So it's like much easier to lift up five people evenly than it is for one person to end up being the 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 job of dragging someone else down i think when it comes to these like sure i i i don't know like we're we're, we're already very theoretical sure. here and i'm not even sure what we're talking about but <laughs> when it comes to the niceties of mm -hmm. washing commodities i find that if it's critical a lot of times there's a lot of good reasons to do it and if it's not critical there's a there's just it's not critical right. so it's fine right like yeah you yeah. know the, yeah. the other thing I make an argument for here is honestly just a matter of convenience, which is to say the other really relevant Hakan ability is Master of Trade. You do not have to spend a command token to resolve the secondary ability of the trade strategy card. This is where like the most mess happens. I think in the early days, uh, even our group had this like idea in our head that like, okay, Hakan gets these six commodities, they're gonna get an X minus three. Like we're gonna play hardball. And that just like never works. And the main thing is because they already have those commodities, they're just sitting there, they get them for free, which means they're gonna be able to move that money around with someone. At some point, somebody's just right. gonna be like, I, I want the two bucks. Like I, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna work with Hakan here. And as a matter of convenience, as the trade holder who is not Hakan, I basically find the easiest and fastest way to get through all of this. And and that's, if anything, my main goal for like a happy group is like, let's not spend 30 minutes wheeling and dealing trade round one when we could end up in more or less the same monetary position in about three minutes by saying, Hakan, you got those six commodities for free. I don't have to be neighbors with you. I'm trade. I'm refreshing everybody. You give me all of the money for their debts. And then mm -hmm. on your turn, all you have to do is go around every single person at the table and collect your debts. I'm passing my debts along to the person sure. who can collect yeah. all of that. And then guess what? We've done all of trade in two actions back to back yeah. and we're done. And everybody just has the money they need for the round and we don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. I think that's that's a great way to think about Hakan. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know if that's playing against them, but it's no, definitely but like Hakan uh, probably <laughs> should take that deal. Right. I mean, if anything, that's what my pitch for today's episode is like, is like, what are we talking about when we talk about having Hakan at the table? And what are some things we can change about the game to either help or hurt everybody's position? And, and this is one of those things where I'm just like, you have access to some new strategies when Hakan is at the table. And guess what? It can speed the game up and make your life easier. Everybody always talks about how Hakan slows the game down, but there's a lot of ways Hakan just speeds things up because it's like, like, hey, listen, there's actually nothing to mince words about. We can just 
finish all of, we can just do this we can move the money around and it's quite easy actually yeah um so if anything that's become my favorite aspect of playing with hakan it's just like the money gets where it needs to go I, i'm so sick of thinking about neighbors in round one and how to get the money or like waiting till the agenda phase and then remembering to collect debts in the agenda phase and then somebody spent all the, like it just gets so messy and hakan there means everybody starts making binding deals to just like get the money where it needs to go and and i think that that is uh ideal so that's neat good job hakan <laughs> we did it uh the only other ability that may or may not be relevant is karth of the golden sands the hakan agent which is during the action phase, you may exhaust this card to either gain two commodities as the Hakan player or replenish another player's commodities. Uh, and this is an ability I bring up not because I think it shifts the game in a major way, but I do think I, I can see new players trying to suss out like what is sort of more or less the optimal thing to do here. And if we're just talking like dollars and cents, basically, there is very little reason for Hakan to ever do the two commodities but what, what I have found over and over is the deal they just end up making is if they can go to the four commodity faction person and say, you will get to keep one of the dollars and I get to keep three of the dollars of your four commodities. I replenish your four, com four commodities. You give me four of them. I give you one in return. That's one dollar you didn't have before. And the other player might try to say, oh, but I'm giving Hakan three dollars. Okay, well, Hakan can just go to the three commodity faction next door, offer the same deal. And now somebody else is getting a dollar. And yeah, Hakan got cost one dollar, but you earned nothing in the in the transaction. This is this is what it's like to deal with Hakan, right? This is why you can't play hardball with Hakan. I think Card of the Golden Sands is such a good example of like the issue of trying to do anything against Hakan. You you won't, because somebody will find the option. So you more or less always <laughs> should take the deal, right? Yeah, so you shouldn't even play against Hakan. You should uh <laughs> You should play with Hakan. Yeah, absolutely. We should change the title yeah. of the episode to play with Hakan, not you're, again. You're catching on to the pitch so of the episode. So there's no strategy against Hakan. That's right. This is, this this is, is great. A, this I'm is about glad. playing with Hakan. This is, Hakan is your ultimate boat float friend, especially if you have four commodities. That's the annoying factor in this, right? Is the rich get richer. The four commodity factions is the best target for Hakan to target with this. And so they're just going to get richer. So there's maybe considerations of how everybody else sort of handles and thinks about these rich factions right like when jolnar this is why catfishing has a term assigned to it right jolnar and hakan both in the game mm -hmm. both a lot of reasons to just float each other's boats they both are running away with it what are the rest of you to do about that problem right? yeah when the rich get richer i don't know if i have an answer to that that is the difficulty oh. <laughs> that is the strategy well that's that's different every game too right that's the point is it's like how much muscle can you expend in like trying to carve off some of their plastic or or whatever right it's it's very it's a difficult problem to solve for when when, when the rich factions make each other richer yeah I, I i feel like yeah it's tough to it's tough to employ a strategy that somehow uh incorporates all of the other players at the table in right. order for it to work but what is something that one person could do yeah. in order to mitigate this i i think this is where conversations about like your bigger considerations of things like speaker control or even uh like in later rounds what you start doing with trade maybe that is when you play a little tighter or whatever uh like if if you just like don't replenish jolnar in your game jolnar won't have the gas in the tank 
to uh, to do stuff with a con. And then maybe they spend a token. And I don't know. I think I might argue it is actually better if the two of them are in that game you like don't do Jolnar any favors because Hakan's going to sit out there and still be able to do favors with Jolnar. So why boost them up that much? But it's kind of the same story of what you were saying about Hakan, mm-hmm. which is that if you don't do Jolnar favors, then you don't get research right. agreement, meaning that all of the tech tempo right. is is just, it's consolidated in just the players that are in on Jolnar's thing. Yep. So how are you supposed to mitigate a an economic bonus like that if by saying no you're just the one that doesn't get right. the benefit everyone else who says yes gets the benefit yeah yeah it's a it's a really gross problem and is why uh jolnar has a, such a great win rate basically um what, what i find interesting in all of this is hakan does not have nearly the win rate uh that that someone like jolnar does but that is something we will definitely be talking about uh later because there are <laughs> there's some very clear answers to hakan that don't exist uh the same uh with jolnar basically yeah so it's it's much harder to find these like consistent per round i'm gonna do x against so and so to stop them right like that's just not the way these strategies work out for you so i I think so much more of the conversation then comes down to like what do we do do at the end of the game like how what do we do when the going gets tough then and we're sort of having to assume these long-term economic bonuses all of these other factions have been playing and and so then we can introduce new uh, conversations about hakan when it comes to win slaying and what is the end game scenario what is that round five or like end of round four look like when Hakan is seated at the table. And and so let's break down a few of these abilities just to sort of get a sense of what we see happen with Hakan in the game. And the first one, and this is like the really basic one, is Hakan also has Arbiters. When you are negotiating a transaction, action cards can be exchanged as part of that transaction. So this is where uh, Hakan is kind of your best friend, I, I guess, maybe? It's such a, it's a trepidatious relationship, but my argument mm. is essentially like, yeah, Hakan's here. They can have all these action cards and they can be uh, giving them around to the table. I, I feel like over the last couple of years, we've really pushed more and more on the idea of if you're going to help with the wind slay, you should always still get paid, right? Like no matter what, with, and that's true of a lot of factions. Hakan is in, is, is in an interesting boat because a lot of times they are in a good spot and they just need to deflect pressure right so it's like hey listen right. if i give you this action card because you're going to use it against mahawk right now that is good for me and i don't need you to buy it for a dollar necessarily right. i have plenty of dollars i'm stocked up on dollars and one more dollar is not going to do anything for me but m- the other thing they have against them is like They can kind of always say, if you do things to me, you won't have access to my action cards. I don't think I see that as often, but it's always a little bit of a card on the table where it's like Hakan can either just keep all their action cards for themselves to stop you stopping them, or they can donate cards to the cause of stopping other players. But I have found Mm -hmm. that to be a really hard space to navigate uh, when you're trying to get the tools you want and also need, I mean, basically need Hakan to not win, right? I, I, I find that to be an extremely difficult uh, way to to do what you need to do. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think the most interesting stuff I've ever seen from players are those Hakans that put their action cards face up on the table and are like, you know I have these? And so you can either buy them or you know I have them and so you won't do as many things against me because, like, you see the experimental battle station in my hand or whatever. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's very... I don't really like that yeah. tactic, though, to be honest, because I feel like 
if if you're playing a Sakan, what's critical if you're going to win the game is like that round five consideration. Mm -hmm. So like throwing all your cards on the table is basically you saying like, I am, I have no surprises Right. where those surprises I feel like can be the thing that actually helps you like lock it up yeah. at the end. Definitely. Um, one thing I'm trying to think of stuff that like is relevant to this conversation mm -hmm. I got something. Here's the thing I got. I find oftentimes people get into this thing with a con in the early game that I really think is kind of unwise, um, where they sell each other action cards mm -hmm. through Hakan. So right. they, they give uh, an action card to Hakan. Hakan then gives it to that person. Maybe Hakan makes a little bit of money out of the deal. Maybe they don't. Yeah. What I don't like about it is I think that Sometimes people give Hakan too much knowledge of what action cards are out there and oh. in whose hands. Yeah. And I think that people underestimate the importance of that sometimes. Obviously, this only really pertains to like important action cards. If you're letting right. like Hakan know where war effort is, yeah, like yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> but like I do think that sometimes people get a little they, they start seeing dollar signs and that's all they're seeing mm -hmm. and they will give hakan a lot of access or a lot of uh table knowledge that maybe is helpful to hakan in, in the end of the game right um so i would always be really considerate about what you're letting hakan see when mm -hmm. it comes to action cards um because hakan also and this is also goes into just like deal making with hakan um Hakan could always just be trying like I it's very easy to as a Hakan player be like oh I'm interested in stuff I want to yeah. see what you got and just get a bunch of free info right action card information is is really useful right. I mean just ask a sorrel basically <laughs> right yeah it's yeah. super useful to know what people have right so just make sure to always remember that the information of what cards you have is it's valuable right. it's not it's not worthless yeah you know yeah if you go to open market with hakan you're like hey because has wares if you have like here's all my stuff and you're you're showing your stuff to hakan well at the very least what you did give them is a bunch of free information and they can even just be like yeah i don't need to buy any of that but hey i do know that you have a skilled retreat and that's actually right. pretty critical for me to know later when i need to do x against you or whatever yeah i'm generally not in favor of if if they're I consider the hidden information in the game uh, to be a resource. So like, I don't, I don't show secrets. I don't, I'm not trying to show off the things that are in my hand because yep. that's the, po it, I don't want to give up the poker aspect of the game. Right. I don't believe that we can turn it into a stock market. Yeah. You know, right. where it's all just some sort of bidding war and, you know, may the, may the yeah. game purely step in and decide. <laughs> I do think that if you keep the thing secret that the game sort of wants you to keep secret, you can use that yeah. to help you win. I don't mean to speak out of turn here, yeah, but yeah. I do think that the secret objectives can sometimes help you win the game if they stay secret, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's helpful. Yeah. The I, weird I, thing about me. I think that's good advice on the whole of like how to deal with arbiters is like, don't get too, uh, you know, don't try to get too cute with it because that's what you're giving up is the the element of surprise. And I mean, that goes for Hakan as well, right? That that goes just for like everybody is a, a, a relatively newer group or even a very experienced group that likes to get freaky will will, yeah, give away too many surprises. And then what we're doing is we're just like, all right, well, let's do the initiative counter in round five and see who then right. wins because we know 
all of the tools everybody has at their disposal. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think when it comes to Arbiters, like <laughs> sell a card if you truly don't need it and want to give it to Hakan uh, or buy a card from Hakan if they come selling and you really want that. And beyond that, maybe don't like over, you know, don't overshare. Uh, I like that yeah. as kind of good final advice. The other uh, big thing that uh, is very often the topic of consideration when it comes to uh, the, the way people talk about dealing with powerful factions, right? And this, this like, kind of factors into, like, Jolnar conversations as well. But the Hakan hero, I know, is something I bring up often when I'm like, are we giving too much to so-and-so? Are we giving right. too much to Hakan right now? Because you have to remember they have this hero, Galactic Securities Net says when one or more of your units use production, you may reduce the cost of each of your units to zero during the use of production if you do purge this card. So the idea right. is always that baked into their strategy at some point in this game, Hakan can do this big build where they build a bunch of expensive units for absolutely free and save themselves a bunch of money, right? This yeah. this whole conversation all day has been about like, how does Hakan always just generate all of this incremental value? And this is like one of the other big tools in their kit, essentially. In round three or sometimes round four, they're going to build a bunch of stuff for free and then use it next round or whatever. And they're just going to gain this plastic advantage on everybody. Or probably more likely is like Hakan's going to send a bunch of stuff out and then for free, they're going to build the fleet that defends their home system towards the end of the game, right? Because uh, the other thing we haven't talked much about and I think is going to become a focal point later is the idea that Hakan has three home planets which means defending their home system can be relatively difficult and if anything in base game was like i mean yeah de yeah defending their home system can be difficult and in base game it was like yeah yeah we can kind of go in and punch hakan's home system that's still relatively true but now they have this thing where it's like uh, i can build like four dreadnoughts or whatever or if i if i can get my hand on a war machine i can build like a ton of fighters in my home system for free or whatever and i've seen back and forth on whether or not this ability is like especially powerful and I, the way i think about it is this and the conversations i find myself having with hakan players is similar to sort of how we play the the speaker game and how we play the well but if this stage two comes out you have the game on lock which is to say like we make so many assumptions about what somebody is going to do and that player that we're putting the heat on is always going to sell us on the idea that there is the least efficient way this thing can happen, right? So like, yeah, the stage two could come out and it could be a really bad stage two for me. And then we won't have a problem. And the Hakan players I see will be like, it's just, it's, it's, I have one space dock in my home system on a two resource planet. I get to build four things for free. That's not that big of a deal. To which my response is always like, but like over the course of this game, you will have the opportunity to increase that potency. <laughs> you can either get War Sun tech, right? Which is a pretty relatively common thing from uh, Hakan's now. Well, even a four resource build, if two of those things are War Suns, that's nothing to shake a stick at. Like that matters quite a bit. You can also get more space stocks in your home system. So I, I always get almost like annoyed with Hakan's that are underselling their hero because I'm just trying to keep the threat of that plastic advantage on everyone else's mind uh, mm. when we're talking about dealing with Hakan. But am I getting lost in those same weeds of, well, you can't stop the rich from getting richer? That That's that's my question is, do you think it's too much to like constantly tell everybody to freak out about the hero? 
I don't. I think that the hero, the hero, just compounds an advantage that they already have, mm-hmm. which is that they just generally get like all their ships out, yeah, and have like a decent, um, a decent economy when it comes to like command counters. Right. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, it's a good. I think the hero is pretty good. I don't really know what what is it that players could be doing to mitigate this hero. Like, I'm not really yeah. sure there is anything you can do about it besides. Just yeah. try to eliminate the con <laughs> right. early. Like, is that Bur- what we're saying? Burn plastic on them to keep their plastic count down at yeah, the cost like, of your own the... plastic as well. Right. What is the counter to this hero? I don't think there really is one. Mm-hmm. So I don't really understand why anyone should be... It's like, it's one of their advantages, but right. it's as just just as much of their advantage as it is like something like guild ships or, yeah. or arbiters or whatever. Right. Uh, they're going to be able to do this. Yeah. Um, and so when they do like, ah, that sucks, but it's just, it's just a fact. I'm not really sure what the other players can do about it. I would say the more important factor to consider is more about like, if you're neighbors with Hakan or if like Hakan has wormhole access, you know, to like your side of the board is I think something you have to consider at least in the late game is there's generally a somewhat like assumed value of how much plastic you need to defend like important space, right? I I need to defend this objective. And in some games, it's like, oh, I can park a destroyer in this asteroid field and it's going to be all right because like not that many people can reach it or or whatever. Or are they really going to dedicate like half their plastic on the whole board to go deal with this? And the consideration I see with Hakan that always like scares me as a paranoid player, the thing that I'm always thinking about is like if I'm Hakan's neighbor, what I need to defend my three tech skips with is a lot more i need to push more stuff onto that planet because hakan's retaliation force or force to come take that planet from me has like an assumed higher value than i generally can deal with yeah um i think it depends entirely on like which faction you're playing Mm -hmm. and what hakan wants i i guess if We'd have, if we were to try and make this less abstract and more specific, yeah. uh, let's say there's three tech specs. You and Hakan are neighbors. Mm-hmm. You have three tech specs. Hakan uses the hero. I feel like Hakan g- generally uses the hero to build like larger ships that yeah. are expensive, right? right? So I would say like maybe the game should be to try and win on the ground. Yeah. Like maybe you can't win in the sky. Maybe you can win on the ground, but that just depends on what whether that's a viable strategy for right. you is very difficult for me to just like ascertain in the abstract yeah yeah um but i do find that more often than not hakan uses the hero to build the dreadnought yes uh, right i mean if they happen to have bought uh war sons from muat which why is why is muat doing that <laughs> but uh i i you know whatever it 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 just comes down to like the more expensive units are more worthwhile to get down yeah so like the flaw of the big chunky units is they could be beat by lots of infantry right. but your example is three tech spec hakan's gonna get one of them right you're you know you're, y'all are not gonna be yeah. able to both score this if it comes to blows but maybe hakan can't take all three i don't know right the other thing to consider with specifically the hero i guess is like hakan generally has to dump a lot of tokens into fleet pool Mm -hmm. regardless of like what the objectives are in order to make like a lot of use out of it right so like we want capital ships 
we don't want you gave fighters an ex, as an example we i mean we don't want to use no. this for fighters yeah, right fighters not. are cheap yeah so we we want to get all the you know we want to get all of our cruisers out of the bag yeah. for instance right. we already have some of our dreads we get the rest of the dreads all the cruisers but i don't i mean this player i there's not really anything they can do about it besides like you know watch you know what how is hakan doing on tech right yeah. so like gum can be super important in a game where numbers are uh, a big deal yeah you know yeah. if 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 hakan's fleet is so much larger than you but they do not have light wave yet well then gum is gonna be right. important right uh, in that particular situation yeah yeah i i think it's good to keep an eye on the things that hakan needs to go for that that in my mind that triggered thoughts about like the winu right which like winu has way more clear issues and way more clear answers right like the the equation with winu if this episode were about winu it's like oh winu has this crazy swing potential they have this baked in tempo fixer but all you have to do to winnow is like keep them in check and keep them off of stage ones right um and and so it's a matter of like always stepping a little bit in the way of what a winu is doing so that they don't ever get on even tempo because even tempo is actually ahead of tempo for a winu or whatever and yeah. with hakan i'm thinking of that in context of like what is their money advantage getting them like winu has a baked in tempo advantage so your answer is slow down their tempo i guess but if if hakan's baked in advantage is this big economy like what can you do to actually slow down that economy and one answer that is stupidly occurring to me but i'm just interested in in it as an idea is like if everyone's kind of constantly trying to barrage hakan with things for hakan to spend money on <laughs> like how much how, and it is is this just me asking hakan to play bad i don't know but it's like should hakan be <laughs> the person everybody is trying to get their fragments to and is hakan the person everybody's trying to get their action cards to so that hakan's money is going into stuff that might not pan out as opposed to like more and more and more plastic or whatever. So like to try and trick Hakan into playing casino type. Yeah, if we even yeah, if we want to word it as a trick, like yeah, is is there some value in really trying to get Hakan hooked on uh like other stuff? Or is that is this more strategy to Hakan of like never like Hakan just keep building plastic basically. You gotta get Hakan here's with you gotta offer the first taste for free, you know, and then Hakan is hooked. And then they're gonna be texting you all the time. Being like, hey, where are you at? I I need a little fragment. I need a little candy. Um, I don't uh, I think that maybe, I guess. Uh no. I I I that th I think you've kind of answered your own yeah. question, which is like it. You can't just be like, "Well, let's just try and get Hakan to to play bad." I right. I I don't really particularly think there is anything you can do yeah. uh, about Hakan until the late game, yeah. and that there are just a lot of advantages that they have that you just have to accept as right. as as advantages. Fact. I I the I love how you worded all that because like what you just described is how I feel about people who are trying to play with the Hakan mech in really wacky ways and do all this fancy planet swapping and stuff is I feel like all that's ever happening with that is like tricking Hakan into just having less planets overall. Whereas like in my mind, Hakan would always be better served by just like 
holding their stuff well and then maybe you do like one important mech swap at some point in the game but the mech the 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 goofy mech play i've seen out of hakans in the past always feels like they've been convinced to hurt their own position just so they can use their mechs in wacky ways i feel like i only see what what is it called the pride of kanara the pride of kanara i feel like i've only ever seen that used in really smart ways i don't think i have seen a lot of like dumb uses of the mech i feel like it's such a good tool for like planet swapping uh, obviously for for objectives um and but it's also just such a good tool for sneaking secret objectives that's Mm -hmm. what i hate about it it obviously it it lets Let's a con get uh, become a martyr really easily, right. which is always horrible to see. But it also allows a con to sell like I've seen a lot of uh, selling malice yeah. uh, to somebody that ends up scoring wormhole nexus or mm-hmm. season icon or whatever. Um, I feel like it's an excellent tool in their kit. I don't think that it's. I think it's a hard point to try and trick a con on would yeah. be the mech because generally I feel like it's traded for. Um, objectives yeah. and that the fact that Hakan can sell objectives is like a huge advantage right. that they absolutely should wheel and deal yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, I feel like maybe what I'm referring to is I've seen a handful of games where I'm looking at Hakan in round four and they have like four planets. Like they have their planets in their home system and then like two other planets outside of home because so many objective swaps have ha- happened for them and I, I as a commentator i go wow that's pretty wild to see but i think the the flip side of that consideration is how many times did that get hakan a point they weren't going to get otherwise and more importantly how many like resources worth of planets does hakan really need when they're making trade goods hand over fist and they have their hero so it's like it all is yeah. part it's all part of that ecosystem of what are you trading your value for the, the, to play a, against Hakan is to be constantly looking at what their overall value is, right? And, and by value, I literally just mean like the dollars that they have generated. But what they choose to spend those dollars on uh, can, can be the greatest difficulty of doing anything about them. Because like the smartest Hakan players will make sure every dollar is like towards points and nothing frivolous essentially yeah you don't it doesn't matter how many planets you have if there's not any control objectives that are run scored you know what i mean like so if hakan has you know 20 trade goods or whatever which is i mean that's sounds like a lot but it's not a whole lot uh for hakan i think we're playing in a async game right now where hakan has 14 trade goods right um so not i mean altogether not that i mean that's not even a lot that's not a lot (laughs) for a late game hakan no um so yeah, I would say in a situation where you have uh, 20 trade goods, uh, I don't really care how many planets I got. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, sure. who cares? It's not not that important. Yeah. Um, unless unless the stage two is control, and then I don't know. Then right. it's weird. But right. I, I feel like tricking Hakan via getting them to trade away their planets, it just seems like that probably, that's probably not the route. Yeah. Especially if you're talking about, like, trying to stop them earlier in the game. So... The last kind of consideration then is really, uh, in my mind, I've been saving the whole conversation for last, which is to say the thing I find myself uh, thinking about the most all game long and also like failing to have concrete strategies against is uh, Hakan's tech quantum data hub node, which is a three yellow requirement, but it's just the tech you see Hakan get all the time because is at the end of the strategy phase, you may spend one token from your strategy pool and give another player three of your trade goods. 
if you do give one of your strategy cards to that player and take one of their strategy cards so in the in the last couple rounds of the game essentially hakan can have whatever strategy card they want which means mm. you have to think about in every game with hakan you must consider this hakan has had economic advantages all day is almost definitely on tempo because you could rarely afford to do much to hold them back in in terms of tempo if you're playing a boat float meta or whatever uh and so you have like a hakan on tempo who in the end gets exactly whatever strategy card they need to do whatever they need to do and so the yeah. question is always what like what are we meant to do about that like is is hakan always the top of the winslay carousel um i don't know it uh it kind of depends right like mm -hmm. there are uh there are a lot of factions that i feel like can get even more out of hand than hakan even with uh quantum data hub node um obviously quantum data hub node is is a really really good uh faction tech but it's just the one strategy card mm -hmm. uh so it does allow them to like take the eight or the one right on on the last round it that doesn't necessarily mean that that hakan is going to win that particular game yeah. but it does mean that they're always going to have access to that um in a situation where hakan is going to win though they are like i would say more slayable than your average uh faction in fact maybe as far as the higher tier factions they might be the most right playable yeah because even though they have all this money and all this plastic they do have a three yep. planet home system and what the Argent also have a three planet home system but they also have like very solid defensive capabilities right. like airy hollow lattice and pds and right. whatever and, and they're hardly as good of a bonus point generator right so it's plenty often too where it's like well there's no slaying that needs to be done to argent they're locked at nine <laughs> like i feel like sure. i've seen yeah. that boat way more times whereas hakan very often has that path to 10 but yeah as as you describe i think this is the thing i mean this is of course the thing i wanted to get to as as the the crux of the argument is we've set up all of these arguments for like ways hakan just keeps getting ahead and i just see those games where everyone's like, we've got to do something about Hakan. And I think the real answer to all of that is in rounds one through four, there's not much you need to or even necessarily can do about Hakan. And you need to rest assured <laughs> that when push comes to shove, you will have something to do against Hakan. And it's just targeting their home system. Like uh, people over focus on dragging hakan down uh in earlier rounds of the game to the detriment of their own game right and they they just basically flub themselves and hakan's shot and just one of the other four people will win but the best play to actually deal with hakan is get rich off of them getting rich and get enough plastic to bust their home system in the final round of the game and then yeah speaker order or qdn or tempo or all of these other considerations don't necessarily matter in the long run and and i i think that's the fear newer players always have is like we're letting hakan get away with too much but it's like you have to be reminded that hakan's defenses are not uh, like necessarily equivalent to so many of the other players especially if they don't have war sons don't let us don't let hakan get war sons that's the easy the easiest answer i have for everybody <laughs> i feel like even when hakan gets war sons it's not like it it's good for their point generation mm -hmm. but as we've kind of said before like war sons are actually not like 
as strong defensively yeah. as they are offensively. It's true. So I even feel like in a situation where Hakan uh, has War Suns, I'm, I'm not that worried about it as far as Winslay terms. It can be very upsetting as far as like what Hakan is able to achieve as yeah. far as control objectives, etc. Right. But I, I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm not as worried about uh, the defensive stuff. I do think like, I mean, I feel like I've seen a Hakan Winslade more than I've seen any right. faction Winslade. So, that, I mean, honestly, um, that was not the biggest deal. You and I have had that conversation before. And that was like the thing on my mind when even trying to think of this episode. It's just that that notion that I, I think I know I forget about basically like I, I always have this paranoid fear of Hakan. And then, like, in that moment, I had you literally assuring me, like, listen, man, Hakan gets slayed literally all the time. Like, it's just what constantly happens to them. Right. So, like, cool your jets. <laughs> Don't freak out so much. Yeah. And wait for wait for their home system to be opened up for just that one turn. Like, they moved the war sun out to go take the tech skip. Guess what? You've got one action to get in there mm. and snipe the home system. And then that's just it. Yeah. One time I was playing against Carnal, you know, <laughs> who, who, you know my rival uh <laughs> and i was playing as nalu and i was sitting across the table and i needed to win slay him in order to win myself mm -hmm. uh and i did it and it wasn't <laughs> really that hard like so i'll just say you know like if Carl, nalu can if, do it a carnal i don't know where you are right now but i hope you're in a dumpster and if you're not in a dumpster like go sit in a dumpster why don't you uh, and just eat garbage all day you know um so yeah, I mean that's something. I think that one's on YouTube. Actually, I think I think, I think you can watch that. I'm pretty sure that was one where I was like, "Yeah, this is going I'm on YouTube." That one. <laughs> uh, that yeah, but uh, whatever. Uh, I don't know. There's like, I feel like in the abstract, it's very hard to say what you should do against the con. It's very contextual. It, uh, like there are things that I could say uh, that make sense in just the context of your game, given all that information, yep. but because this is an abstract conversation where we have no particular examples, right. I don't know what to tell you. Good luck. Yep. Uh, you can probably do it. Right. Like, I don't know. Like you can probably figure it out. Yeah. Uh, if you, you listen, here's my how to beat Hakan thing. Listen to the show. <laughs> Like, just listen to the show, uh -huh. and the show will help you figure it out. You just gotta kind of know all the other stuff, uh -huh. and then be live your life. And right, I don't know. I'm we're playing a game right now uh, where I'm sitting next to Milty. I mean, I'm basically out. But um, uh, anecdotally, I could give you this. This is something I've used a couple times actually against Hakan. If I'm sitting next to Hakan, and there we're talking about quantum data hub node stuff. Yeah. This is only if you're sitting next to them though. Right. Like, please do not listen to what I'm about to say and then respond to it like, what? No, don't. And that's not, I hate that, by the way. <laughs> I never want the show to be this type of stuff, but whatever it is. Uh -huh. uh, so I'm sitting next to Hakan. They're looking to get quantum data hub node. So here's how that process works in my head. I, what I want to end up at is uh, as second pick to their first pick. Right. Because I, unless, like, let's say I know this Hakan and, like, I know we can, like, deal with each other sure. or something, which that's, I don't even live like that. I don't live my life like that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not going to just handshake, do stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I, sure. I, I want to play the game. Right. So the way the game works for me is if I'm, if I'm sitting next to Hakan, I want them to be first pick and I want to be second pick. Yep. So I don't even want them to use Quantum Data Hub Node. I don't right. even care. They don't even need to use it. However, 
I want them to research it. <laughs> so I am not going to play this game yeah. unless they are in fact going to research it. But if they research it, then I like to try and throw it out of the window if I can, yeah. possibly, right. and say like, yeah, you got Quantum Data Hub node, but I don't care. Right. You'll, you're just gonna be first pick, buddy. Aren't you happy now? Yeah. And then the rest of the game is you trying to figure out how to mitigate that. Right. Now it's not that hard to, if you're, especially if you're in that position of being second, I've also done this from third mm -hmm. before, but if I'm like four, I'm probably not going to yeah. do it. If I'm fourth, I don't know. We're going to consider a different way to do it. Yeah. It also depends on like, if you're third and the person in second is actually out of tempo, then guess what? You're actually second. That's sort of how that works. Right. Uh, so like, that's also another but particular consideration. I think all um, of and this- And we could just do this all around I, well, the table. Exactly. <laughs> but but, but let, let's let this go back to our earliest point about like trading in general, right? Which is the idea that Hakan's gonna get what they want no matter what. You can either just let them have it, right? You can just give them speaker token in the final round if the if the sequence happened in the right well, who's, order. Who, wait, wait, sorry, who's giving them speaker the token? Person the person to their round. left, right? The, the person who is second in order will now give them second. speaker token and oh, they'll yeah, be yeah, like I was talking like about. Like you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Um, or in the, in, in the other situations, they'll just have QDN and they'll use it. The point to all of this is to say, do the deals that keep everyone in the running because the situation uh, anecdotally as you as, as you brought up our async game really only three of us have a shot in this coming round which has turned mm. the waters too murky where there's not really enough gas in the tank for two of us to do everything we need to do and the other three players don't care and don't have a reason to care but mm. if all six of us were in the running that's when Mantis's Windslay carousel works and you you do the dance of late game TI, which is like someone deals with Hakan and someone deals with the someone who dealt with Hakan mm -hmm. and someone deals with them and you go around until one person makes a mistake or g gets unlucky or didn't have what they thought, you know, didn't it didn't work out for them in some way. And that kind of begets you your winner in the end. But when when you don't have everybody with a desire to contribute to to stopping this this Hakan or whoever it is. It can just be the person with Imperial in any given game. That's why you need like the boats floated, essentially. I don't know. It depends. I don't. Yeah, I, I feel like all I'm I'm just said it, it, it depends, depends a guy. Lot. Sure. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um, uh, three people, you can still do a Winslake carousel. I mean, it's not like the, uh, the carousel has to be six in order no, but for it to function in, in, in this in this uh, particular game we're talking about, you're playing as ghosts. I think the chance of you slaying Hakan is definitely not off the table. Sure. I mean, like you I, have the tools. I have the tools to slay to Hakan, it. but that does not mean I have the tools to slay Hakan and then win for myself. So it's like I don't, I don't even know. Right, what that we has get. to do with the nature of the stage two that has come out in our game sure. too. Yeah, so th th we have a very anti-win slay stage two, right. which is uh, the have eight ships in a system one yeah. that one's always hard because like how are you supposed to slay and then also have like eight ships yeah. that are left i think like i mean what the, so we're kind of talking about like two different modes of thinking uh -huh. you can either like try to i don't even know i know what this looks like but like be mean to hakan uh -huh. like i don't know no. be like and then don't <laughs> trade with them um, which I don't even, I don't even know I've ever seen someone do that. So I, uh, so that's like non-existent. That's uh -huh. basically a straw man. <laughs> or you can just play the game the way that everybody does. Uh -huh. And in that situation, 
a con may or may not win yeah. the game like it's it's just <laughs> i mean yeah. i think what you're describing is the core frustration we see with people who like push against boat float meta right there they get mad that we're all bo floating boats because they they choose to not recognize like what the real argument is which is it's like i'm not saying you need to try to help everybody win all the time i'm saying you very rarely have the resources to tank someone else's shot and maintain your own so the so boat floating is like the next obvious conclusion to come to is like let's just keep all of ourselves in the running because if I do too much to one person, they'll retaliate. They'll fight back, and then we'll be, you know, we'll we'll both just be screwed. I mean, the the, the part it gets the most frustrating for me is when I like get secrets that are like, well, I just have to like do awful. Like I need these things to happen, and they're all in my neighbor's space, and I have to somehow figure out how to take those things and keep my neighbor happy. And sometimes that just isn't. There's not a, a, a negotiation available there or whatever. And so then you get locked in this like gross uh, war that you never actually wanted to be a part of, but it's what your secret objectives told you to do. Yeah. I mean, there is, yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, there's some players that you can negotiate anything. Though. Yeah, of course. Like, this was your yeah. advice to, you're referring to, you gave me this specific advice recently because I was playing against Kaluin and I was like, I don't know, I just didn't see what other options I had and you you were like, yeah, it's you never... Kaluin, baby. There's always an option. <laughs> Kaluin will sell you anything. Kaluin will sell liter literally, well, if you told, if you came to Kaluin and you were like, I'm thinking about buying your entire home system and Kaluin would be like, all right, let's see if we can figure it out. <laughs> Like he's not going to reject <laughs> right. that possibility. Right. He wants to at least hear selling. the price. He will hear a price. Yeah. <laughs> He'd much rather it be a deal. That's yeah. almost like yeah. I hear Kaluin say that all the time. Kaluin's yeah. like, if you start just attacking Kaluin without talking to him about it, he always says, and it's because he will make anything yeah. a deal. There's right. nothing off the table for him. He'll say, hey, we could have talked about this uh -huh. because it could have been a deal. Yeah. It could have been a nasty, <laughs> weird deal that looks really bad on the face of uh -huh. it. But still, it's a deal. It's a deal, so and it keeps go. us going. It keeps us afloat, you know? Yeah, that's why I, li I, I like uh, sitting next to Kaluin because even if Kaluin's going to win and not me, I'm like, I know it's all going to be deals. Yeah, right. Like, we're going to figure things out. We're not going to just, like... Yeah. We're going to talk it through because that's the other thing, too, is it's like, you know, it's hard to play this game and keep track of what everyone else needs and yep. what everyone else is doing there's a lot of hidden information yep uh and i feel like if you start talking to everybody about their needs you can sort of figure out how to keep people in it but i do want to push back a little bit on this idea that you need to keep everyone in it uh -huh. i don't think that's necessary at all i think that if there's a way if you can plot out a way to make all five of the other players like lose sure and you're the only one that's going to win You'll probably win, yeah. honestly. Yeah. But I don't know how often that is going to happen. That's, that's really kind of the problem. That's what I'm saying is it's it's very hard to make someone else have all the losses and you incur none of your own. That That's the yeah. difficulty. TI, there's too many ways for anyone to drag anybody down for any reason. So like there's always some recourse that can, can you, you know, can befall you. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to just convince if you somehow convince or influence two other players to fight that's the closest i think right. i've ever gotten yeah, to yeah. pulling this right. all off yep. is is if you just kind of fuel other people's conflicts right and reliably they will kind of stop each other yep. like for example in our game you know 
I don't know what Milty told Dane, but I think Milty just like kind of mind controlled Dane into getting Dane to like play a particular way at the beginning of the game. And and in that way, both him and me are both uh, we are not doing well. We're not doing hot. Yeah, we were we were very, we know. had a very tight games, yeah, you know. Right. And then you got to take advantage of Dane like His also. And, yeah, yeah, and so it was just kind of just kind of all got uh, pretty messy. But if you have a lot of especially early conflict, early conflict. You can feel it kind of have a ripple yeah. effect yeah. throughout the entire, uh, you know, second half of the game. Yeah, it's not definitely. even that evident at the beginning, but it'll be like round five will happen. And because of some early game conflict, other players will look like they're on round three or round <laughs> uh -huh. four. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's that. Yeah. That's when it gets that's when it gets rough. Definitely. Well, I, I think that wraps it up. That those are those are kind of my ideas. I think this is the faction that is the most relevant to this kind of conversation because I do think this like style of episode and the style of thinking is absolutely an it depends <laughs> style of thinking. And at least with a con, there's just the considerations of like, well, how can we all just sort of benefit from this? Whereas with other factions, I think it gets so much like yeah, how do you play against research agreement? I don't know. Try to buy it. Like, that's about all you say with, like, this sort of episode with Jolnar. So I don't know if we'll, we'll see this kind of thing. I think at some point I want to have, like, some sort of in-depth talk about Winu because I see them keep getting brought up in interesting ways. And it's almost, if anything more, I'd like to do an episode of, like, when is it safe to draft Winu in a multi draft? Like, what are you looking for when it's safe? Because what I feel like I see, especially recently in tournament drafts, is Winu's there and everyone seems like they're interested and then nobody pulls the trigger on it because it's just like, no, 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 this wasn't the right slice or this isn't the right speaker order to, to go for Winu. But there's obviously, like stars can align for it to, to there be a, to, there to be a secret sauce or whatever i don't know i'm interested in that uh that headspace basically so yeah. you want to draft winu <laughs> yeah yeah that that does sound like an interesting uh at least it's it's specifically yeah. from one person's perspective right. i like that yeah yeah um all right we're gonna take a quick break and then we have a bunch of barony heroes to talk about with the homebrewers guild <laughs> Welcome back, and Hunter, we're diving straight into another extended Homebrewers Guild. It's interesting. This one got sort of halfway co-opted. The Homebrewers Guild channel is now just a place that's popping off because we had yeah. we had this challenge. Last month, we did Impulse Core from the Yin, and uh, this month, I was like, hey, let's do Barony Heroes. Uh, and then also, we started talking about TI Zero Edition, and now there's just like, it was actually became hard to find all the stuff I was trying to find for this segment because it's yeah. just a crazy good channel now. We finally did it. We finally made the Homebrewers Guild uh, active, and I'm, I'm having a wonderful time. So thanks to everybody who's also getting in on the... Uh, the zero edition stuff. I don't know where that poll is currently at. Uh, that we, we got one we more week of the poll. Um, so the poll is for which era uh, thematically uh, to set zero edition. And I wanted to start with trying to figure out what era because I really want theme to drive mechanics yeah. for this version of the game um, because I want it to be fun to like explore yeah. this slice of of Twilight Imperium. Uh, from a, a story perspective and also because it's kind of where I want to maybe throw my whole uh, scenarios yeah, instead yeah. of stage twos type right. uh, point scoring thing not to uh, not to put <laughs> that out there too, too, <laughs> not to get ahead of things but 
I do think that it would be cool if we got some story stuff figured out so that mechanically we know like what is like what makes sense because yeah. I really would like Twilight Imperium Zero Edition uh, to to make sense yeah. like, for it to be holistic and for it to feel like a real a homebrew that gets as close to being real as possible. <laughs> yeah, That's my absolutely. Idea. Uh, well, this month the challenge was put out to the Homebrewers Guild to give me new barony heroes uh the barony hero is a much kind of maligned aspect of the barony game basically there's all this debate about whether or not barony is good or not and uh i, I believe the stats currently show barony just still struggles and it really comes down to barony seems to have like a decent set of stuff but no finishing moves right there's no there's just nothing they have at the very end of the game to really mm. finish the job maybe if they've like done duranium and uh, non-euclidean shielding that's like the closest they get to feeling like they have some sort of superpower uh but their hero certainly is not a contributing factor to their end game basically the idea that their hero just like for one round lets them have infinite fleet supply but then at, if that round isn't the end of the game like it didn't do anything for you because you're going to have to knock down that fleet supply. So here are a bunch of, of attempts at a new uh, Latinf hero. And I will say, as some of the homebrewers uh, pointed out, a lot of these have uh, the the new extra hero logic, which is like, okay, these don't have to be purgeable, which I think at one point in time was like how people tried to design homebrew heroes. But Dane basically broke uh the logic of what it means to be a hero and they don't always have to be purgeable so just prepare right. prepare your mind for a bunch of weird heroes uh so the first one is the luck of the letnev the infinity leaf clover uh our properly irish uh barony letnev is here as an action place this card near the game board after you roll dice you may re-roll any or all of those dice that's any dice roll that's that's gravity rifts that's uh, bombardments that's combat after any player has rolled mm -hmm. a die you may purge this card to set the value of that die that die cannot be re-rolled and you may prevent modifiers from being applied to it <laughs> so you can purge this to turn one critical die roll into something that exactly what you want it to be <laughs> yeah that's funny uh i think like maybe uh maybe these are Maybe the first idea is enough. I think that yeah, second idea yeah. is hilarious, but it, I don't know that it's necessary. Uh, setting the value of the die is a really hilarious phrasing. Yeah. Because it means like, I mean, there's only binary outcomes uh -huh, to these uh -huh. dice. So that means like you're saying like, um, so it's a miss, but I'm going to say it's a miss of like just barely. Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, right. why, why are we? Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you, you can make it a miss. Sure. <laughs> I went through the gravity rift. It's a two. Uh, so this time uh, it's not, it's, it's specifically just, the two. <laughs> just barely. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Uh, William Willard gives, gives us a uh, dark matter affinity Omega after you perform an action. You may purge this card. Remove one of your command tokens from the game board and redistribute any number of your command tokens on your command sheet. Then you may perform a tactical action. This is oh, Minister of, of War. Of yeah, this <laughs> yeah. just is Minister of War, but Barony always has a Minister of War in the game. 
Eh, boo. Sorry, William. <laughs> too simple. <laughs> too too straightforward. The answer was too logical. Uh, I don't like it. Well, don't worry, because Weckers is not too simple. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> Give me Weckers now. <laughs> uh, Dark Matter Infinity Omega action. Place this card near the game board. You no longer have separate tactics, fleet, and strategy pools. <laughs> Instead... <laughs> Instead, the combined tokens in your command pools are treated as if they are in each of the three pools. Also, when you repair ships, gain a command token for each repaired ship. Wecker, you almost had Come a cool on. thing. Don't, you, dude. you went too far. Wecker, you were so close. Why did you add that last <laughs> thing at the end? Uh, so, obviously, when you repair ships, gain a command token for each repaired ship. We can't do that. Yeah, but that's insane. I like the other part. Yeah. <laughs> I like the other part a lot. The idea of it just being like... You just have command tokens. Uh -huh. And to I have use... plus two. Like, I have plus two yeah. to fleet. So no matter what, I have all of right. these tokens in here. And I have plus two of that as my fleet supply. But also, I'm just spending tactics and strategies and whatever yeah. from it. And it's yeah. one pool. You know what's gross about this, though? Is it really mm. makes me think, you know, the game could just be that. Like, it would not be so ridiculous oh, if we simplified no, command really? counters to be that i don't i don't know it's it's something worth we just don't see out. this game at all the same <laughs> i can't believe i think you get caught in the weeds with like token management like token placement i think it's just like i don't know sometimes i i, wish I love there were thinking about way. how i like thinking about how i'm going to distribute yeah and what it is that i'm prioritizing right and maybe I, sometimes I, I wish strategy tokens like did more like like it's cool when you have one of those factions that has like a couple extra uses for their strat you know like muat and soul have this like yeah. sort of extra thing they can do although the value of those things has come into question at various points in time but it's like i wish everybody had like also another thing they could do with strategy tokens i think that my only issue with this is that predictive no longer matters if you have this <laughs> right then barony really has no reason to ever have predictive yeah and so that that seems a little bit weird. It seems a little bit weird to like cancel the effect of a regular tech mm -hmm. with a hero. But I don't know. Yeah, I do like it. Right. But I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't just know. Put, it just, there might be there might be a better way to do this. Just super pushes Barony away from yellow tech, a tech they already didn't have any interest in going down. Uh, we got a couple left though. Kazmat has during the strategy phase, you may use the production ability of one of your units to produce ships on this card. After a system is activated, you may place all ships on this card in a oh. system with your ships and ignore fleet limits this turn, then purge this card. I think there's some messiness in the language of like ignoring fleet limits this turn, but I understand the intent here, right? Is I have this, I have this fog of war, not really fog, like people see it, but it's like there's this surprise fleet that can't be attacked by anybody else and is just this amazing offensive strike force that comes out at some point. And that's every round. Like this is a thing that stays in effect each round. You know, the thing I don't like about it though is that you have to keep, like you're literally, you're yeah. saying, I'm going to hurt my plastic. Yeah like ceiling right in order to use it later like wouldn't it be better to just have those ships yeah. anyways yeah. like why i can yeah. just research blue tech and have movement on my ships and then they can get where they need to go anyways <laughs> i really like this idea thematically though yeah. i love the idea of seeing like a little or not thematically i just like the, uh, at the table i yeah. like this of just seeing like a mass of barony units like on a yeah. card like ready to go right yeah it's but cute. yeah, I don't know how smart it is strategically. Like, I don't know how much it actually helps Barony yeah. is the thing. Our last one is from Petra Medusa. 
You may spend command tokens in your fleet pool. Ah, uh, what if... do you know? We got somebody's fixed Wecker's, Wecker's idea right here. <laughs> you may spend command tokens in your fleet pool as if they were in your strategy pool or tactic pool. Each system without planets that contains one or more of your units gains oh. production three ability as oh, if it were one no, of your units. No, Why do we no. always add mess what? to it? We got to have two <laughs> abilities in one. What's happening? <laughs> um, I like... I actually like this as this. Uh, you may spend command tokens yeah. in your fleet pool as if they were in your strategy or tactic pool. Uh, I like that because I think that you could actually add that to the original hero, uh -huh. and now it would be good enough. Right? You know what I mean? Yeah. So we're saying we're saying as an action, you 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 don't need fleet tokens anymore. Any fleet tokens you have can be spent as uh -huh. strategy or tactics right that i like and it's sort of it, it basically accomplishes the same thing that wecker is trying to accomplish but it's not as crazy uh-huh yeah i i think somewhere in there is the perfect marriage of all of these ideas basically i so i think there's no winner <laughs> this week there's no or this month no i'm <laughs> i'm giving it to petra okay i i yeah, like yeah. petra's just I'm get, get rid of the second half maybe but but Listen, just this just idea petra went no petra spiritually yeah got it right which was that wecker here's what petra got right that wecker actually had the best idea but it needed to be reined in tell me something i don't know <laughs> you know what i mean this is how game design works wecker is the person that comes in with the the hammer uh -huh. the meat hammer and busts out some meat and then now we got to kind of cut that uh -huh. into a nice little cutlet you know right and petra did that but then also added like added a bunch their of gravy. own, added like, their own like, hammer petra now you need to be uh -huh. slowed down a little bit. But I, I do think we, I think this idea of being able to spend command tokens in your fleet pool as if they were a strategy or tactic pool is a new thing mm -hmm. that makes sense for Barony to be able to do this. Yeah. So I like that idea the best. Okay. I, but my only hang up with it is, is so what you just, it turns into Wecker's thing, right? Where just from now on, uh, Barony puts all tokens in the fleet always, no matter what, right? Nothing else even exists in mm. tactic or strategy pool. Cause, because you can spend from tactic or strategy pool. I mean, at, at, from fleet as if it were those two. No, no, no. So I, well, okay. So I'm altering Petra's thing oh, okay. <laughs> in ways that are not. So yeah. Okay. So Wecker didn't get it right. Petra didn't get it right. <laughs> I'm taking these ideas and I'm fusing them into a, a play as an action yes, right. or one round. In this type round, thing. I can spend it, it from this. It definitely can't be a just forever thing. Right. Like that, I realize like that's how Petra's worded it. Yeah. Surely that's not what Petra meant. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I want to thank our weird bears: Big Al Cappuccino, Squeamish Emu, Brass Bird, Cabala Soul, Kaluan, Daryl, Jadim, Jedi, Carnal, Kindred Spirit, Alice, Emlashevsky, Sunfax, Absol, Ricky, M44, Rys, Tang, and our Teensy Sprouts, Kraken, Hercules, Savant, and Vince. You can rate this podcast on all of the apps, and also, uh, I've gotten a lot of messages. We know the website is down. It's like in between. It's like a. It's we're getting the new website, and the old website is gone. And so, and I know tournament season is coming up, and so everybody's like actually interested in seeing the website. Right. So like September is weird, and I get it. Okay, I get it. So we'll just like keep it. We'll let you know when the website is up. I will let everyone know though. It's not like you. There's nothing on the website you need to you be already in have the tournament. Everything you need. Yeah. If you can join yeah. the Patreon and you can get on Discord, you can be a part of the tournament. Uh, we've even at this point. 
We're going to have the rules and all of that stuff posted on just the website as well. But for now, I have Google Docs that are up where you can read essentially all of the tournament rules of play. And we, we, we put a bunch of stuff down on paper that we've never had put on paper before of just like how to do everything in the tournament. Yes. Uh, the yes. other thing I'll say about the tournament uh, that uh, maybe isn't abundantly clear to everyone is as you get your games going... Uh, what I have to make sure everybody does is there will be a form to fill out when you have won a game. You need to report your win, basically. That will be a critical step <laughs> of uh, winning games in the qualifiers is reporting your win, uh, essentially. Yes. I'll be keeping an eye on all the Discord channels, but like as of right now, there's quite a lot. There's like 15 games the first weekend of October. Uh, is, That's is 15 the way spots. Going. That's 15 be spots. out the window. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, get, get in while the getting's good, but also each of those winners will need to report the win to me so that I can get in the guts of discord and change your thing to prelims player and all of that business so uh i did keep an eye out for that form as well i did something really ridiculous which is i reached out to uh some players to get together a game for the first weekend uh -huh. of the tournament not realizing that me and you are going to be at a wedding yeah we're gone and we won't <laughs> be able to play the first weekend i actually won't be able to play until the, the third i know yeah the first two weekends you and i it are makes both me busy. so mad it's really bad uh, I've only got I don't know how many weekends that is to try to get into the <laughs> into the prelims, but dang it, I'm gonna do it. And uh -huh. I don't care how many games it takes, and uh, I'll cheat if I have to. Um, I just want to say for Galactic Counselors as well, um, there's a new post up on the Patreon. Uh, we are asking for another wave of agenda phase questions. Mm -hmm. These are critically the, the this is a good one to weigh in on because we are doing a mailbag episode. Uh, coming up, we were, we are only doing agenda phase questions. Yep. So please, if you've ever had, if you've ever wanted us to talk about anything in particular, slam it down into that new Patreon post. Um, if you're a galactic counselor, if you're not a galactic counselor and you want to ask us a question, just get on in there yeah. and do it. Yeah. I would also say too, if you have asked a question in the past and it was never asked on the show, don't be afraid to ask it again. Um, yeah, do I, it. I have been recently only pulling from the newest post because we sort of exhausted the last one. But if you had a question on there, you're like, no, seriously, I want to, I still want to do that one. Like it basically, I'm saying I just need to nudge. I just need to be reminded of that if, you, if you're like really itching to, to see that answer because there's plenty of questions we just sort of skipped over because we generally are trying to do these agenda phase questions if they feel at least somewhat on like topic, like like relevant to the episode itself or whatever. And sometimes they're just not that. So when we do a full agenda phase episode, it's like all bets are off. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll just yeah. we'll answer anything. Uh, speaking of, I have an agenda phase for today. N. Curry asks... In a vacuum, which we've been doing a lot of today, today's all about being in a vacuum, you know what I mean? Would you rather have Nalu's zero token or draw the obsidian? If you chose the zero, what about it versus a custodian point? If you chose obsidian, uh, what about zero versus classified document links? I guess more generally, it comes down to what do you value locking down round five? Speaker order or the potential for an extra point more? Um, I want to take all the concepts in this question and just sort of reframe it as a, can we do like a ranked list of bonus points and speaker order shenanigans of like, what do we, what is kind of the most valuable stuff to have on hand? So of course, you know, we talked about QDN today. That is like one of mm -hmm. the things to address, but we've also got Nalu Zero. We've got... Uh, we don't have to go through every there, there are some of these bonus points that are maybe not as valuable to like bring up in in conversation but yeah what what are like the top things we're trying to get in a given game 
Well, before we completely sail past the question and do something else, uh -huh. do we want to maybe try to answer the question. Well, there are that might be interesting many too. questions in it. So, okay, we'll go in order. Hunter? Ma Matt, you, you, no. Oh, you I'm not going to talk me. to you about it. I want you to, <laughs> a to answer the question in a vacuum. Would you rather have Nalu zero token or draw Obsidian? Zero token for sure. That's exactly how I feel. Yeah. Because the zero token is outside yep. of the bounds of the game. Right. It is just like, I have the zero. Yep. It is an absolute property. Yep. Uh, obsidian, I can find a bonus point somewhere. Right. That the zero, and some people might be saying like, well, but you could play the speaker game too. The zero trumps yeah. politics writer. Right. It trumps any kind of like unknown variable yep. that I don't know about. And it just gives me an advantage that no one can take away from me. Yeah. Okay? I kind of think the zero token is actually maybe the top of any list. Like it is it is quite possibly the best ability in the game. Oh yeah. <laughs> Based on we what is important. Yeah, what what it's like I put that and like SARS nomadic ability as the two most critical abilities in the whole game in terms of locking up wins. Dane had to slow roll every single thing Nalu got in Prophecy of Kings to balance yeah, out right. the zero token. He did it so much, he had to undo it a little <laughs> bit. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, and then he gave Nalu one of the other best abilities in the game accidentally. Whoopsie I like doodle. where they're at now. Yeah, no, I do Nalu too. is n definitely not de facto the best yeah. faction in the game. It's true. And I think that's good. They're kind like, of... That's a good place. Honestly, I see conversations break out a lot of like, what's everybody's favorite factions? And I always have difficulty. I don't know that I have much of a favorite faction, but I realize more and more I have a really soft place in my heart for Nalu. Uh, when I play a game as Nalu, I generally have one of the better times I have uh, compared to other You factions. really like Neuroglave a lot, and I will not. I do not <laughs> no, understand. I haven't done Neuroglave you in a long love time. It. You okay. love it. You're always talking about Neuroglave and <laughs> how like great it is. like such a base game thing. No, you were... Did I research I Neuroglave in a POK game? Recently, you were playing uh, as Nalu and you had Neuroglave, and I'm like, man, I never see that yeah. except for when you play i don't know i don't it's know it's so interesting i also love nalu though a lot when yeah, i was doing was cool. the research games for the codex 3 yeah. uh, i don't know that was like a oh, year ago yeah, or whatever but yeah. uh, that was i just remember being like these these games where i'm playing as nalu every time that's a good time yeah that's just a good it's time to have fun play because they absolutely have strengths but they absolutely yeah. have weaknesses whereas like joel yeah. is so like all still strength. like a puzzle yeah there's still like a, a puzzle. puzzle to solve yeah it's min maxed yeah. or whatever right you have yeah. you got four in strength but you've got 10 in intellect or whatever it's like <laughs> what winu wishes it was you know what i mean like like winu yeah. is like glass cannon uh -huh. like we've got these good advantages but the problem is like you're just too it's too easy to just kind of throw Winu's game in the garbage uh -huh. like not to pour cold water on your idea of like what about winu but I don't think that mm -hmm. it's actually that interesting. I think yeah. like, it, I think basically anyone can with all it costs them is a single command counter yeah. <laughs> and a ship, and then uh oh, yeah. the whole game's in the tank. Yeah, for Winu. Oh, Winu doesn't get to win now. Yeah. No, right. like it's just so simple. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Nalu, it's way more complex figuring out the the puzzle. Yeah. But you're also like in a better position. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think most of the time went not to no shade at winning people. I think they're a very interesting faction and they are fun to play. But I can't help the feeling. Don't get don't get annoyed at me. I can't help the feeling that every time when I see a winu win, it's not like I'm sitting there thinking, 
man, that Winu just played everybody under the table. I'm thinking, man, that table failed to stop Winu yeah. from winning. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, I think the most, what continues to be the most hilarious victory in, I think, all of Twilight Imperium is the time Big Al won as Winu and I believe never unlocked their commander, never took Mechatol. Mechatol did not factor into it. Like, right. just did, like, basically played a not faction at all, right? Didn't use mm -hmm. nothing Winu has access to and won anyways. And that's like telling your story, right? It's like, okay, so they did nothing and the table did nothing. And it just seems like the table, I guess, gave the vanilla faction a win in the end is all that, all that had to happen. <laughs> Makes sense that Big Al would be able to set that up to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, okay, everybody. Well, Hunter, Hunter, do we need to answer any of these other questions? If you chose the zero, what about it versus? I mean, we just said the zero is the best thing. Is there is there a is there a second in order uh, of all of the things you could have? I think some of the things uh, Nate brought up are tricky, like the zero versus classified document leaks. Well, I don't even know what to tell you about classified document leaks. That's a whole. I mean, there's twenty. There's or what? There's 40 secrets in the game that that could uh, have landed on. There's no way to know. But uh, just in general, what what do you think ranks just below the Nalu Zero token in terms of end game lock it up abilities like QDN, uh, having a custodian shard crown? What what are you the most interested in having, or does it even matter? Um, this is so divorced from context. Quantum <laughs> data hub node like what in a Franken game? Then yeah. <laughs> If, if we're talking Franken and I don't have to play as Hakan, mm -hmm. then okay, QDN. <laughs> but QDN and I'm playing as Hakan, uh, right. probably, I'd probably, re I mean, but this is so weird because yeah. it's like Obsidian, I would say Obsidian is probably a very, it's very reliable, right? Because yeah. Custodians, that's a bonus point, but it's one everybody can see and they can factor in. Right. Whereas Obsidian kind of gives me a little more leeway. Yeah. Here's um, sh Shard, I would put pretty low on this. That's what I was list. about to ask is, I, I think at one point in time, maybe in my head, Shard was like the best bonus point you can get from the Relic deck. Oh God, but that's, no. It's really only as that like really dumb, oh, if I get it as my 10th thing, like I'm gambling for Shard to win automatically that's like a thing that happens in commentary but outside of that yeah i do think obsidian is like by far the best relic for any of that because like you know crown and tomb as a whole maybe it happened maybe it didn't but yeah shard is very often this absolute like uh cursed item <laughs> especially if you've taken any legendary planets you're basically doomed i mean in the abstract crown is almost better than shard yeah. because crown all you have to do is find the tomb and then that's one yeah. system you got to hold it hardly ever works out that way sure. right but if we're just talking about the ideas here then yeah i mean that's I, that's less places i got to defend right. shard i might have to defend two or three different places yeah. and depending on what faction i'm playing that might be like five planets or right. something like ridiculous like that you know what i think is i think obsidian is the de facto best primarily because you also get to draw the secret objective right then. That's that's yeah. actually ridiculous. If you just got your total value increased, but you gotta still follow the secondary of Imperial, I think Obsidian would feel more in line with Shard and Crown of like, it's like, well, you got that, but you gotta like make it work. But plenty of the times it's like, I drew Obsidian and I drew the scorable secret and the whole game is now solved for me or yeah. whatever. Classified documents leaks also kind of sucks yeah. in the abstract, like because yeah, sure, like, I get the idea that if if your secret is being elected, it's sort of like, it's, not, it's like a poor man's obsidian, right? Yeah. 
but you're also like adding tempo to the table as right. well. You're giving them more outs. If it's an action phase, you've actually just kind of increased everybody's right. point thing. And then I'm like, I don't even know what to tell you. So I would probably put cl classified documents at the very bottom, even yeah. below shard, because it's like, yeah, the variance there is it's about like shard to me where yeah. it's like, yeah, it might be good sometimes. But it also might be like just kind of bad. I, I think that's true of basically all the agenda points. Except, I mean, we'll, I'll talk about political censure separately, but the other three, right? You've got CDL, you've got seed of an empire and you've got mutiny. All three of those. Oh, and uh, 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 the one that draws a stage one or a stage two. All of those, right, are like what Hunter just described. These are all point potential for everybody so it's like it might be nice to you but none of them are inherently best for you and then po a political censure is a victory point for you but it's also like the second somebody has repeal law it's like it never <laughs> exists right I, that one's so awkward because sometimes it can be a big factor and sometimes it's just like it never happened in the first place so yeah really when it comes down to it so many of these things they're all on technically shaky ground right except for the nalu zero token there's n absolutely nothing shaky about the zero token it is it i mean is unless you absolute. give it away but that's it's well, absolutely in your control <laughs> yeah right yeah so exactly. like yeah <laughs> it's just kind of i don't know how this is supposed to be yeah um a problem yeah so the, i i think the zero token uh flipping rules uh and yeah if it was if we're playing franken then i'm taking the zero baby yeah and uh if i have a bag we're playing frank and i have a bag and it has every component in it for some reason that's how we're playing yeah yeah then the first component i take is the zero token congratulations everybody <laughs> that is how i feel about nomadic even maybe even more in in franken because i'm so freaky and paranoid if i see nomadic i'm just like that's mine i need that i need to, i need to have nothing to lose it's critical that i have nothing to lose basically yeah, I feel like you could also just take a one planet home system, though, and then you're like, this is basically... Yeah, we're talking about thing. me, though. I'm really bad at managing even my one planet home system. I'm a pretty stupid guy, Hunter. <laughs> you're not a stupid guy. You just... You just... You think so little of everyone around you. I think that's what it is. You're like, you're like, these people around me, they're stupid. And that's more what it is. It's not that you're stupid. It's that you just think they're all stupid and that they can't see the table for some reason you know what i mean they'll see the table they'll be like i see this on the table i'm gonna do this and you'll be like that's crazy you saw that and it's just like well i think it was right there everyone can see it though i can tell i'm I being personally attacked but i'm not sure in which way i'm supposed to be to take personal offense to this so i guess you get away with it listen i'm the other guy so i'm the one that's <laughs> stupid you know what i mean like in my attack on you or whatever i'm the one that is the dummy you know so there you go this is the podcast featuring two dumb guys who just can't handle each other in a single game of ti hope we taught you how to take down hakan i feel yeah. like you really learned it i hope you really figured it out uh -huh. how to just take them down uh -huh. you know space you cats really peace turtles it. it depends i guess <laughs> yeah i'm sorry about that everybody let you down did not <laughs> did not really get it but hey whatever I, i'll get a tattoo that says it depends on, there we go. on my butt uh -huh. so and mine's just like, my tattoo is like three question marks and no answers just like i asked the questions that was enough right i've done my job good night yeah. everybody yeah there we go um good job wecker good good job petra medusa <laughs> there we go y'all should y'all should host the show i think <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>